With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's time for us to talk about the college football playoffs initial rankings. Probably going to get you set with some predictions about how that's going to go. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, Kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we're going to react to the Associated Press Poll's top 10 or top 25 in week 10, excuse me, rankings. We're going to get into my top 25 rankings and look ahead to the College Football Playoff Selection Committee's initial rankings release on Tuesday night, for which we will be live here on Tuesday night to react to their rankings. And We'll see if I got their top four, even top six, correct. But before we get to those, let's catch up on a couple of games that we are very much interested in here at the number one college football show. Starting with number 23, UCLA beating Colorado 28 to 16 in Pasadena. What's great about this is that the defense did its job if you're Colorado. Like, it's the worst defense in all of football in regard to giving up yardage. It's like 473 a game coming into this one against UCLA. And then... You got four turnovers in the first half, right? You got two picks from Travis Hunter in the first half. And then Shiloh Sanders put a hit on Carson Steele that had him fumble the football, right? That's two fumbles in the first half. And then apparently Shiloh Sanders throwing his shoulder at Carson Ryan's shoulder is enough to get him ejected for targeting. You keep looking at that play and it's really difficult to see how it is targeting. Didn't seem to hit him in the head or neck area. Didn't seem to lead with the crown of the helmet. Really, he got up and flexed on it afterward, and that might have been a personal foul based on, you know, unsportsmanlike conduct, but that's not what you're going to throw the dude out for. They threw him out for what I thought was a terrible call, and really, I think most people would say the same. But more than that, you took one of the playmakers for the Colorado defense off the field, the guy that they think is their best safety back there, and you're really kind of hobbling him. I think between Shiloh Sanders, Trevor Woods back there, Charles Kelly's got a couple of safeties he likes, but they both got to be on the field. But again, the defense did its job. This is a one-point game at halftime. UCLA led just 7-6. to six, And then, well, the wheels came off of the defense and the offense. I mean, they could not move the ball if they had a Caterpillar 797 to earth move. It was just bad. We're talking about sacking Shador Sanders seven times in this game, which brings the total up to 42 all year. But if you're watching this game, you're looking at it going, Shador Sanders is running for his life, and it felt like he was getting tackled every single play. It's not true, but you saw seven sacks and expect to see 14, 21, even 28 based on how that pass rush for UCLA was getting home, which is another way of saying Chip Kelly's got a defense, and Chip Kelly is kind of lethal with a defense. They are flying around the football 
making life difficult for other teams. And they got a shot here to go and get 10 wins by the end of this season, a good Arizona team coming up that I think is going to challenge them. I'm excited about that game because Arizona's playing its best football basically since Khalil Tate was playing quarterback for the Wildcats. But getting into what Colorado is or isn't right now, we're talking about just four and four after eight games. It looked until they lost that game to Stanford, like maybe they were going to be able to get to bowl eligibility. You blow a 29-point halftime lead, and then this game kind of just bites you with 21 points scored in the second half by UCLA. CU could barely run the ball. I mean, we're talking about 25 total rush yards, and no one broke one longer than nine yards. Like, it's it's an anemic rushing attack to say that it's non-existent. And really, if Alejandro Mata was not perfect in three or three for field goals, we're talking about no points being scored for Colorado until there were 248 left to play in the game. Garbage time, basically. The rest of the way, you got Oregon State, Arizona, Wazoo, and Utah. Like, four and eight is not out of the question for Colorado. December 4th, though, that's going to be a huge day for Colorado and Colorado fans because that is the day for which I expect Coach Prime and his staff to go trawling the transfer portal for offensive linemen. He was asked in the postgame, big picture, what do you think about you know your offensive line? He said, big picture, you go get new linemen. He said, I'm going to paint it clear for you because it is getting on his last damn nerve that they can't protect the quarterback. Like he says this a bunch, and I'm just going to reiterate here. It ain't about his kid being the quarterback. It's about you can't protect the damn quarterback, and he's the most important player on your football team. If that dude's not upright long enough to throw the football, you know, you're going to have a problem because that is the most present personal way that you can get into defense's faces. Like, if you could throw the football down the field, then maybe you could run the football, right? But Xavier Weaver actually did play pretty well. Jimmy Horn Jr. showed up a little bit later. Travis Hunter still Travis Hunter. And I think Michael Harrison is going to be a player. But again, you got to give that dude two and a half, three seconds to throw the football, and they can't do it. So if you are an offensive lineman who is looking about going into the portal, you're probably going to get a phone call from the folks down there at Colorado because it feels like they're an offensive line away from being a good football team as opposed to one that's staring down the barrel of four and eight. But again, Oregon State caught an L late last night that's influenced the top 25. We'll see how that looks for them late Saturday night when they play that game on national television. They're going to play the most games this season, Colorado, on national television that they've ever played in the history of their program, surpassing the total they had in 1990 when they won a share of the national championship. UCLA, I think, is great football team. They got an outside shot and making the Pac-12 title game, but they got to win all their games left. They got to get some help along the way. Let's go to the Big Ten from the Pac-12 to number three, Ohio State, knocking off Wisconsin 24 to 10. The Buckeyes at full force, they're really good. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player in college football. I think he's going to win the Bolitnikoff Award. I think he's going to be a Heisman finalist, if not have an outside chance to win the Heisman Trophy with a win against Michigan, but that's a big if. We'll get into that a little bit later, but six catches, 123 yards, and two TDs in that game. But really, low-key, Travion Henderson being back and being at full go is what makes them really potent on that offense. We're talking about 162 on the ground, 207 total yards for Travion Henderson, and he hit a home run in this game. Home runs are explosive plays that end in touchdowns. He had one against Notre Dame that changed the game. It's the reason that they were able to have a lead in put up that goal line stand between those two guys. If they're both going well for you, you're going to be in a good spot. As a matter of fact, Cage Stover was non-existent basically in this game. I saw G Scott catching more passes than I saw from Cage Stover against Wisconsin. Now Wisconsin was down, right? Tanner Mordecai was out with a broken hand. 
Braden Locke's a great quarterback, but he's just not that great to beat that Ohio State defense, get in that second. But also, there's no Braylon Allen for much of this game either. He was in a walking boot in the second half. So this is not a full-strength Wisconsin team, and yet and still – you expected them to do something, and they couldn't do anything. And I looked at this point total, and I had to go take a look at what Ohio State has done up till now. We're talking about giving up no more than 17 points in, to any opponent in any game. And then you got six opponents that they've held to 12 or fewer, including a one-loss Penn State team. That defense is not giving up any points. They're bending but not breaking. Denzel Burke back on that defense changes them. They can be Really great in single coverage, and the safety play has been great. They lost Lathan Ransom for that game late. We'll see what happens with him, but the safety play has been outstanding, and year two of the Jim Knowles effect, well, we're about to feel it. Now Ohio State, I think, has a real argument to be the number one team in the country come Tuesday, and let's get into my rankings and the Associated Press Poll's top 25 to kind of get into this. So I got... You know, basically flip-flop Georgia and Michigan there. We'll talk about the differences a little bit later here, but Ohio State at three. And then I see that they have Ohio State at three, the AP. But you're looking at this. I got Florida State at four. They got Florida State at four. I got Washington at five. They got Washington at five. Let's talk about Washington and move our way up here, right? So Washington is really playing with fire the last couple of weeks because the college football playoff selection committee wants to sometimes make like the first half of the season doesn't really count. What really does count is what you did the week before they got to make their rankings when they decide to wake up after, you know, week nine and start looking at football games. But when you try to throw football games away to two of the worst teams in your conference, it's a bad look. Arizona state had them dead to rights. If a pick six is not thrown with the game on the line and then Stanford basically had the game won. If only my man could catch a pass, they got great play call, but you're playing with fire here. But those, you know, national championship teams tend to win those sorts of games. And Washington is 8-0 for the first time since 2016, which is also the last time that Washington made the college football playoff. But you don't feel real great about Washington being the prize of the Pac-12 conference. Now, Arizona State and Stanford, and for that matter, Arizona and Cal, have all been pretty doggone good. Like the bottom of the Pac-12 is better than anybody else's conference, full stop. But still, when you are the number one team in that conference, you're expected to beat those teams by a couple of touchdowns at a piece and not need to take it all the way into the fourth quarter. So that really is it. Like if they're not 8-0, and we got Oregon in that spot because Oregon looks like a better football team, though Washington won, and I think the scoreboard ought to matter. And then when I go into Florida State here, I just don't trust Florida State, man. Like, I know they beat up on the Demon Deacons at 41 to 16, and Jordan Travis had a Heisman winning game. But here's the thing, man. I look at Jordan Travis and I see Desmond Ritter. That's not shade. That dude took Cincinnati to an undefeated season in the college football playoff, then got housed by Bama. Like, that's how it feels right now. I watched them go down to a Clemson team and need to win in overtime, and that Clemson team ain't no good. Like, they are Notre Dame lost away from being below 500. They're bad. So your best win is an LSU team that we don't trust, right, that got outscored by Ole Miss, had to outscore Missouri. Now, if LSU goes and pants Alabama, that win looks real good. But if Alabama beats LSU by two touchdowns, all you got left is Duke. And you were losing to Duke when they had their best player on the field on one leg. I don't know what to do with this Florida State team because – they're not been really challenged by teams that we expect to play in the college football playoff or win conference championships, right? 
I mean, we're talking about the guys that might be able to play Florida State for the ACC title are Louisville because North Carolina decided to drop a third straight game to Georgia Tech as a ranked team. Like, that's where we're at right now. Like, Florida State probably going to walk into the college football playoff because they happen to have a schedule that doesn't challenge them, and they did this in 2014 and then got beat to hell by Oregon in the college football playoff. It's really difficult to see them as anything other than the number four team that's got to fill out the college football playoff as opposed to a team that can win a national championship. Now, Texas Christian was able to beat Michigan in a college football playoff. You know what that led to? The worst bowl loss in history in the national title game. We would really like to see a competitive national title. That, that's what I'm saying, right? So if anything, I'm probably saying the top three teams here, that'd be Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, don't lose to Florida State and then and or make this into a game that doesn't matter anymore. But I'm looking at Ohio State there at number three. And they have an argument to be the number one team in the country. The reason they have the argument to be the number one team in the country is they have a ranked win against a really good Notre Dame team, right, that beat USC but also lost to Louisville, right, and beat Duke. Then I'm looking at an Ohio, Ohio State team that beat Penn State, right, and Penn State's a one-loss team. Now, Penn State tried to throw the game against Indiana, and then Drew Aller said, let me go deep, and they went deep, changed the complexion of the game, and won it late. But those two ranked wins are twice the amount of ranked wins as, well, Georgia. Georgia's ranked win is Kentucky. That's it. Now, Georgia will probably be the number one team in the country in the AP, not just this week, but next week, if they continue to do what they're doing. They got Missouri coming up this Saturday. But what they did was take the tool out and then go beat Florida to death with it without their best player. Like, they put a 20-point spread up on a Florida team that beat Tennessee, put 43 points up on a Florida team that beat Tennessee without their best player. Like, that's that's the argument. The argument is, this is how good we are. We are the two-time defending national champs. We've won 25 in a row, and we are looking to become the first team in modern history to score, to score, to win three national championships in a row. I think that the committee's probably going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But this also kind of brings me back around to is there anybody that could make their way into this top four that isn't here already? Yes, Oregon could do that because they're playing great football. 35 to 6 against a Utah team that, well, they hadn't gone into Salt Lake City and won since 2016. They hadn't held a team without a TD, a ranked, a ranked team without a TD, excuse me, since 2012. I mean, we're talking about an Oregon team that really could end up playing Washington or maybe someone else, depending on what Washington does against SC on Saturday in the Pac-12 championship game. And then Texas is apparently everybody's darling again. Like, here's the, here's the problem I got with Texas, okay? You beat Texas, it seems to matter quite a bit to everybody else, right? Now, Oklahoma, Texas, that's a rivalry game. We hate Texas. Like, that's, that's just what it is. They hate us back. But the way that the national folks tend to think about Texas is not the way I tend to think, think about Texas. Like, they're supposed to be where they are, and they're going to get a Kansas State team that did not allow Houston to score a damn point on Saturday. I just don't know what Kansas State team they're going to get in as far as what we've seen throughout the year because this is also Kansas State team that lost to Missouri. Okay? Now, Texas, like Oklahoma, is fighting for its life in the college football playoff, but more than anything else, looking at Texas at number seven there for the Associated Press and Oklahoma at number 10, you see what I see. 
the Big 12 needs some help to get a team in the college football playoff, right? You're going to need to look better than a one-loss team anywhere else, and you're going to need that team to take a loss, right? So if Florida State takes a loss, maybe that opens something up, right? Washington takes a loss, that opens something up. But for Oklahoma and Texas, you need to continue to win out, get back to the Big 12 title game, hopefully get each other, and then put together a win that changes the complexion of the college football playoff. And, and both those teams are capable, right? But we're also talking about a Texas team that ain't got Quinn Ewers at quarterback, okay? Malik Murphy is good, but he's also making freshman mistakes. You're going to have to ride that defense like they did against Brigham Young and ride Jonathan Brooks like they did against Brigham Young. Xavier Worthy got a punt return for TD. Like the offense only scored 14 points against BYU. I think Texas is right where they're supposed to be. Alabama, on the other hand, yeah, they could get there because they beat LSU. They are probably going to play in the SEC championship game. And there's nothing about this Alabama team that tells me they can't beat Georgia in an SEC title game, which means we could also end up with two SEC teams in the college football playoff again, along with whomever comes out of Ohio State, Michigan, because the Big Ten West is just a, it's a dumpster fire. Like Iowa still sitting atop that thing. Because Wisconsin lost to Ohio State. So it feels like the Big Ten West is just going to put up a sacrificial lamb for the last time, while Penn State just has to fold their arms and let this happen because they lost to Ohio State already. We'll see what they do against Michigan. Maybe that changes something up. I'm also kind of really fascinated to look at, well, just, just how deep do we think the college football playoff selection committee wants to go in this? Because Really, we're arguing about who's going to be five and six here uh, going into next week, Washington or Oregon. I think I got it right because Washington beat Oregon. But if you're going on the recency bias thing, you're going to put Oregon ahead of Washington. Again, I just want the games that we play and the scoreboard to matter. I think that games that are played September matter just as much as the ones that are played in November. Most people tend to think that teams get better along the way. Yeah, cool. But somebody came out firing and somebody did not. I would like to reward the people to come out with a fast car to start the season and not penalize them because somebody else got their car a little bit better as the season goes on, right? Same thing with the football teams, man. I need it to matter that Washington beat Oregon, okay? Whoever wins the game between Ohio State and Michigan, I need that to matter because right now we're talking about, again, Michigan owning Ohio State, and that might be the reason why they ranked ahead of Ohio State, despite this really outstanding resume for the Buckeyes. All right, so as I see it, and I'm going to get into this on Tuesday, probably write about this for Fox Sports uh, at the Fox Sports doc, uh, excuse me, on the Fox Sports app and at FoxSports.com. But the way I see the College Football Playoff Selection Committee shaking out on Tuesday, number one, they're going to put Georgia. Number two, they're going to put Ohio State. Number three, they're going to put Florida State. And number four, they're going to put Michigan. Michigan, baby. You're, gonna, you're not going to believe this, but I understand you. I get where you're coming from. I really do. Michigan fans is who I'm talking to right now. Because what's going on with you right now sucks. It sucks because you got caught cheating. There's no ifs, ands, or buts around that. There's a mountain of evidence that says so. You broke the rules by the letter of the law. Only question we have right now is what the punishment is going to be. And I've said this before, and I'll continue to say it. It seems like the Michigan football team itself, the guys that actually play the game, you know, they got to go run the plays that people were telling them they got to go stop. They seem not to care, and they get stronger with each one of these scandals, man. I mean, Jim Harbaugh was flirting with the NFL, lost two coordinators. All they did was run the table, 
win the Big Ten title, get to the college football playoff. This year, they lose Matt Weiss. This year, Jim Harbaugh gets into the, with the NCAA again, uh, gets the self-imposed three-game suspension. You lose Sharon Moore for a couple of those games too. Doesn't matter to those guys. They just go throttle people, right? And now you have this thing where you have a staffer who had this really elaborate scheme to steal signs from other teams that they were going to play. It's fitting that Michigan folks feel chippy, okay? And the reason I say that is because, well, a chip is self-imposed. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying I have a tattoo here that says chip, and I have a tattoo here of Rudyard Kipling's if. Those are on my shoulders. I got Invictus tattooed on my forearm. I understand. A chip that you put on your shoulder is to be walked around with and told who wants to fight. Knock the chip off if you want to fight. It's a self-imposed wound, man, because that's how you get around in life. That's how you fire yourself up. That's how you go win fist fights. Michigan loves a fist fight. They're also playing really, really, really good football. I mean, I, I have the number one team in the country because they've been so dominant in a sport that demands dominance. But it feels like you could run the table the rest of the way. You could win a national championship, and this will be the dark cloud over your season. I hate this. The only question we have left is who's going to dish out the punishment and what will it be? Now, if the NCAA takes this all the way to the mat, we're talking about probably seven months of intense investigation, maybe four months of going through like the process of trying to figure out what that punishment is going to be. And at that point, Jim Harbaugh might still be a head coach in Michigan. He might not, right? Whereas the Big Ten could look at this and decide, well, we have enough evidence to do something, but what would they do? I don't know. I don't even know that they want to get ahead of the NCAA on this because this is the NCAA's purview. And there are reports that the NCAA has been up at Ann Arbor asking questions and gathering information. It's just what's it going to be and when's it going to come? My sense is it won't come before the season ends. And the college football playoff selection committee has already been told until this team is sanctioned or any team is sanctioned, you cannot take that into account. So they got to play it as if the sign stealing thing is for somebody else to figure out. They got to figure out on an eye test and on an opponent test who, or excuse me, where Michigan should be ranked. I, if I, I find it interesting that I'm the guy that is empathizing with Michigan folks. But again, I, I understand this. This sucks. It, 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 there's nothing like feeling you have done everything in your power to go win football games, only be thwarted by somebody else making decisions you didn't know about and that you would have probably put the kibosh on. Matter of fact, Ohio State asked the College Football Playoff Selection Committee just last year, hey, is it permissible to go and scout other playoff teams in person? To which the answer was yes, and that led to a rule change, right? Somebody in Michigan, notably Connor Stallions, didn't ask that question. Just put this thing into focus and said, well, we'll see if we get caught. Well, you did. And now everybody at Michigan has to deal with whatever the consequences are. Again, Michigan fans, I empathize. It sucks. All you can do if you're a player is go win football games. Go win football games and then hold up the banner at the end because at the end of the day, the game is played by the players on the field. Just because you know what's coming doesn't mean you can stop it. Just ask Colorado. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. We will be back live 
Tuesday night following the release of the college football playoff selection committee's top 25 rankings. Our number one college football leads the screener are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in this film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana puts the special in our special team. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Aaron Schechter is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees it all from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojcik calls the plays from the field and the play snaps on my clap. We'll see y'all on Tuesday. Till then, stay low. Keep those feet grinding. Deuces.